Today we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 7-12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Good morning. If you want to see evidence of God at work today, where would you look? Where is God's power most clearly revealed? Where would you go to see God express his life most clearly? To know that he's here, for sure. He's active. He's among us. You see, the Corinthians were kind of wrestling with that. And we see in the books of First and Second Corinthians that they were enamored with certain things that they felt like, this is what makes God real to us. Things like spiritual gifts, but especially those that reflected signs and wonders and miracles. They were focused on speaking in tongues. They loved charismatic, dynamic speakers and presentations. We're told that they were impressed by those who could bring in the most money, who could gather the most people, and so forth sounds rather up-to-date, doesn't it? (laughs) Don't we struggle with some of those same things, trying to figure out, God, where are you? And we look for those miraculous kinds of things, the flashy things. These are the things that tend to impress human beings. What's flashy, big, extreme, unusual. See, the Corinthians have a very human view of God's power and how it's expressed, and too often we do too. You see, God's way of living, God's plan, God's perspective is upside down from our human perspective. God is a radical God. (laughs) The kingdom of God functions very differently than the world. And a large part of us together growing in the Christian life is having our thinking transformed, Romans 12:2. Don't be conformed to this world, but instead what? Be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We need to have our thinking changed because the way we naturally think is wrong. <laughs> we don't think accurately about life. We need to look at life and ourselves and at God from his perspective, not our own. 
And maybe, maybe, no area is more important than an understanding how God chooses to reveal his life and his power in the world today. As we'll see today in this passage, it usually isn't in big, flashy ways. In fact, the three key words we'll look at are he reveals himself in weakness, in suffering, and in dying. But if we can begin to grasp that and begin to get God's perspective of how he reveals his power in his life today, that can free us up to be true participants in the kingdom of God, not resisting what God's doing, but rather joining in and being part of what he's accomplishing in the kingdom of God today. Pray with me. Lord, we confess that our thinking is so often human, not godly. We see things from our own perspective, our worldly perspective. And so today, Lord, may your spirit open our eyes so we can begin to see how you reveal yourself in a true biblical way from your perspective, that we might understand it so we can join in and see how you reveal yourself through us to a watching world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how does God normally choose, normally choose to reveal himself? He can do miracles, he can do flashy things, but how does he normally choose to reveal himself to a watching world? Well, as I said, number one, in our weakness, in our weakness. Notice verse seven, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. When we went on this recent uh, journey to Turkey and Greece, one of the most fascinating days we had was we were in Cappadocia in central Turkey, right in the middle of the country in this high plain area. And in that area, there's these unusual stone formations because of the volcanic activity that's been there. And there's actually... This deep, deep, they call it tooth, but it's the volcanic residue that's formed stones, but you can dig through it. It's fairly soft, and they actually have discovered cities that are 10 stories deep in the ground. And these are cities where Christians hid out during the persecution, during the Roman and later years. Christians lived in these cities. We visited one city, and they found a number of these where 60,000 people could dwell. In the one city we, we saw, and there's several. So one of the things we did for lunch is we visited a cave house. And in this house, where they have kind of a restaurant, it's a family-run place, and we went into the house, and you, they took us into actually their bedroom where they all sleep, and carved into the wall was a, a place for their bed, and then a place for the baby's bed, and then couches around down below where the older children would sleep. And then they fed us lunch. And I'm going to show you some slides from our lunch. You see, we were waiting for lunch to see what would come, what would be there. And he brought out these pots, these clay pots. And in these pots, they were scored around the edges. And as you can see, they'd been sealed, filled up, sealed, and then cooked. 
But for us to get what was inside, he had to take, and this is the man of the house who showed us his house, his wife did the cooking, took, as you see, a little hammer where it was scored, where it was weak around the edge of this pot, and he tapped the pot until it broke so we could get to what's inside. Next slide, you can see him working on these plain, insignificant, nothing special clay pots. But then you get to see what's inside. It was an incredible stew, delicious, wonderful. But to get to it, it had to be broken. You see, this one didn't break cleanly around the scored area, but it allowed us to get to what was inside so we could enjoy this feast. You see, clay pots in ancient days were very common. Nothing special in themselves. In fact, the way they, they date archaeological sites all the way throughout the world is they look at the pottery, the shards of pottery, because there's so many broken pieces. Because pot, pottery breaks easily. It's fragile. But, though it's not special in itself, it can contain wonderful things. I'm going to show you another picture here. This is actually from Corinth when we visited Corinth, and this is a large pot. It's hard to tell the perspective here, but it's actually probably four, four and a half feet high. And I wonder if Paul and the Corinthians were thinking about this pot or one like it when he wrote these verses. We have this treasure in earthen pots that are fragile, that easily break. As Paul says, these pots that are us, (laughs) we're just clay pots, literally. Clay earthen vessels. We're just clay pots. But we contain the most amazing thing. A glorious treasure, he says. He describes it in a lot of ways. The Holy Spirit, the life of Christ, the life of God. In verse 6, he says it's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's His light. It's His life. It's Him in us. But see, God purposely leaves us weak. He leaves us as clay pots so that the glory of what's inside can be most readily seen. The fact you and I are weak, and, and, and this is such an important point to get for us as believers. The reason you and I are so weak is because it's God's plan to reveal His life and power to the world. This is so important for us to get. Charles Spurgeon writes this, A primary qualification for serving God with any amount of success and for doing God's work well and triumphantly is a sense of our own weakness. When God's warrior marches forth to battle, strong in his own might, when he boasts, I know I shall conquer my own right arm and my conquering sword shall get unto me the victory. Defeat is not far distant. God will have no strength used in his battles but the strength which he himself imparts. Are you mourning over your own weakness? Take courage. For there must be a consciousness of weakness before the Lord will give you victory. Your emptiness is but the preparation for your being filled. It's a powerful spiritual principle. We've heard it before that 
We need to be weak. God uses us in our weakness. We're just clay pots. But we struggle with this, don't we? I mean, let's be honest. This is hard for us. I remember as a young believer expecting that now I'm a Christian and God's on my side, I'd feel stronger and stronger over time. Life would go well. I wouldn't struggle as much as other people around me. And that that would bring glory to God. But I was shocked when God continued to point out my weakness to me. When I saw how weak I was and over time how not did I feel stronger and stronger, but I actually was more and more aware of my own weakness. I think this is true of most of us. We struggle with this. And I find myself still falling into this attitude. I I still tend to think, God, I could do so much more for you if I didn't have to struggle with the things I struggle with, if I didn't have spiritual weaknesses I struggled with, if I didn't have physical weaknesses, if I didn't have to struggle with migraines and heart attacks and diverticulitis and arthritis and etc. And that's just me. (laughs) I'm serious. God, I could do so much more for you if I didn't have to deal with all this. Along with tiredness and my own selfishness, I could glorify you so much better if I didn't have all this to deal with. Every once in a while I watch a little bit of Antique Roadshow. I'm fascinated by what people will pay for old stuff. But often they'll, they'll bring this, you know, this pot, this urn. And it's beautifully painted on the outside. It's just gorgeous. They put a lot of time into it. And people will pay good money for that. But you know what? No one ever talks about what's inside. Because the outside's all prettied up. No one cares about what's inside. But God leaves us purposely not so impressive on the outside so that what's inside is what's important. And when we spend a lot of time trying to make ourselves look good, painting up the outside and trying to look really good on the outside, then we draw attention to the outside and what what is inside gets ignored. We think God will be most glorified if I'm strong together, don't have to deal with physical or emotional weakness, And God says, no, you've got it all wrong. In fact, what reveals my power in my life most completely is when you are weak, your mortality, your aging process, your weakness is a gift from God. It keeps us dependent on Him. It reminds us of how much we need Him. Our weakness reveals God's power. Uh, like the older gentleman who said to me, I'm physically falling apart. I can't do much at all except pray. And I said, wow. God's given you the most important thing to do, hasn't he? What better thing to do? He's narrowed you down to nothing but prayer. Our weaknesses narrow us down to the place where God helps us focus on what's most important, clinging to Him, talking to Him, dependent on Him. So this principle that Paul wants the Corinthians to get is that our weakness is what reveals His life and power most completely. And along with that, so does our suffering. 
our suffering. Verses 8 and 9. Let me read those verses again and just highlight a couple things. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul is describing the different kinds of suffering we go through. He kind of covers the gamut here and shows that our suffering reveals the power of God because suffering doesn't destroy us. We somehow make it through these terrible things and we continue to walk with God and trust Him. And these sufferings, He will go on to say, we'll look at it next week, actually transform us into Christ-likeness. And as we suffer, His power is revealed. And all our suffering is guided by God's hands. Next slide, please. God carefully taps upon us to reveal himself. He brings that pain, that pressure into our lives, the tap, so we'll depend on him more and be broken and so his glory can be seen more clearly in us. And these things that Paul describes, he he really is describing his own life, but he's also describing the normal Christian life. This is the normal Christian life. Now again, it's maybe not the way we would have designed it, not the way we like. It's not easy, it's painful, but we need to understand this is the normal Christian life. It's a life of these things. And notice what he says, afflicted in every way, but not crushed. What does that word afflicted mean? Well, literally, it means to be squeezed into a tight place to be squeezed by circumstances. These are the struggles from circumstances he's describing here. This could be financial difficulties. It could be job losses, loss of loved ones, flat tires, car repairs, water heater going out, health struggles, cancer diagnoses, migraines, etc. These are the afflictions that squeeze us that pressure us in life, and they threaten to crush us. But what Paul says, it's it's in those difficulties of life, and we think, if I didn't have to deal with all this, God, I could serve you so much better, and yet, he says, no, it's in those things that my life gets squeezed out of you, that I get revealed in the midst of life in ways that maybe we can't see, But by faith, we take it that God is revealing himself even as we walk through those struggles with him. Paul describes in chapter 11 some of those afflictions that he went through. He was shipwrecked. He had many hardships. He was often hungry. He was in all kinds of pain. He had eye problems, etc., etc. Cindy Benoit went to be home with the Lord just in the last couple weeks. Nine weeks ago today, she was preaching here as she was battling her cancer. What I didn't know at the time, and what probably most of you didn't know at the time, is she was not feeling well. And she made it through first service, and in between services, she was shaking in weariness and in pain. But... God sustained her. She got up and preached a wonderful sermon I heard at the second service. 
You see, in her affliction, God beautifully revealed himself. Beautifully revealed himself. And God does that in our afflictions. The next kind of suffering that Paul mentions is perplexed, perplexed, but not despairing. What does perplexed mean? Well, that, these are the struggles from within. These are internal struggles that God sometimes leaves us with and taps us with. Emotional struggles, confusion, doubts we may have, fears, worries, anxiety, depression, mental disorders, tough questions and decisions that we have to make that confuse us and perplex us. We're tempted to despair, Paul says, but but we don't despair and we cling to the Lord and he gets us through it. They drive us to our knees so we know we need him and we depend on him and somehow God reveals his life and power even as we struggle with perplexing things. Paul says in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. That's Paul's experience. He experienced depression, confusion, burdened, with the concerns of the churches. He struggled emotionally. Some of you experience deep internal struggles and emotional pain. But you've shown God to me and to others by the way you've clung to God and by God, how God has revealed himself as he's given you faith to hang in there despite the pain. And frankly, if you read biographies of the saints, you see that It seems to me most of the great saints struggled with things like depression. Paul certainly did. Martin Luther did. Charles Spurgeon did. Mother Teresa did. You can go on and on. Probably most of them that I've mentioned would have been considered clinically depressed. And yet God used them in powerful ways and squeezed his life out of them through that perplexity that they experienced. Third, Paul says in verse 9, persecuted but not forsaken. Another kind of suffering is the rejection we get from people, being attacked by people, persecuted for our faith. Maybe at work you just feel pressure because you can't speak out about your faith. You're made fun of. You're ridiculed. You get cold shoulders from others, criticisms, deliberate slights. Meanness from others. You feel alone. Persecuted. But somehow in that, not giving up. Not forsaken. You see, in that rejection that others give you as you cling to God and realize you're not abandoned, you're not forsaken, God is with you in the midst of that rejection you're experiencing from other people that as you cling to Him, that that God's life is revealed through that, even to those very people that are doing you harm. 
You realize he's been with you through all the pain and rejection. He has never, ever, ever abandoned you. Paul experienced persecution. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was imprisoned, rejected by his fellow Jews. But God stuck with him and continues to stick by us and help us learn to depend on him, not on people (laughs) through it all. Finally, he says, struck down, but not destroyed. Struck down, but not destroyed. That word struck down literally means thrown down. And this, again, pictures rejection by people, people who are out to not just be mean to you, not just reject you in an emotional way or something, but actually do you harm in life. True rejection, abuse, deep harm done to us by others, whether by family or other people in our lives, hatred we experience from others, people who are out to do us harm. And Paul says that even in that, God is in that and using that to reveal his life to a world that needs to see him. Struck down, thrown down, but not destroyed. As God sustains us through it, God's resurrection power is there and sustains us and gets us through those times of pain and abuse. And he begins to move and redeem those for his purposes and change us, help us know him better. You see, all these cracks, all these cracks that God's little hammer reveals in us through suffering actually reveal the life of God in ways that are hard to see sometimes, and yet they're there. And again, I want to say, this is the normal Christian life. Maybe you didn't know that when you signed up, right? (laughs) But this is the normal Christian life. So God's plan for revealing His amazing resurrection power, His life, to the world is through our weakness and our suffering. And in those struggles, he makes himself known. But there's one more way that he reveals his life and his power to the world, and that's in our dying. And by that, I don't mean just the process of death. Notice what he says in verse 10. Always carrying about in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Verse 11, For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now those two verses sound a lot alike. But let's just talk about what the difference is. What's the difference between verses 10 and 11? Well, verse 10, see, says that We do something. We always carry about in our bodies the dying of Jesus. What's he talking about? He reminds us of the dying of Jesus, that it's that process that Jesus went through during his whole life, not just when he died, but his whole life. His life was a life of dying. Dying to self, dying to his own rights, dying to what he wanted as God. He let go of that. He emptied himself so that he could bring life to us. David Roper writes this, The cross was the culmination of a lifetime of Jesus dying to his own dreams. 
his reputation, his career, his friends, his comfort, and eventually his life. Jesus was always ready to die. Always. Every day he gave up what he could not have. His whole life was a life of service to others. Excellent words to remind us that that's the dying of Jesus. His whole life was one of giving up his rights. Giving up his rights so he could be a blessing to others. So Paul is reminding us that that's what we carry about in us. A reminder that was how Jesus lived. You see, God doesn't call us to anything that Jesus himself didn't do. How did Jesus choose to come and reveal himself to the world? How did God reveal himself to us? He could have come in power and might and flashiness. Vast miracles to impress everybody. How did God show up on this earth? As perhaps the most helpless creature on earth. A newborn baby. Absolutely helpless. Weak. Unable to do anything for itself. Most animal babies can at least do something for themselves. Human babies cannot. That's how God chose to show himself. And then as he grew, he lived a life of dying, of giving up his rights. Weakness, suffering, dying. That's how Jesus came into the world. That's how Jesus glorified his Father. How did he do that? How did he reveal the life of the Father? Through a life of weakness, suffering, dying. It wasn't by being together and powerful and impressive. So what does he add in verse 11? That we carry that about in our lives so that the life of Jesus can be revealed. In verse 11 it says God delivers us over. He puts us in situations where we have to die to ourselves. And as he does so, the life of Jesus is revealed through that. He puts us in situations where we have to die to self, die to our dreams. Let's give thanks for the bread. Lord, thank you that you chose in your body to suffer for us. You walked that path ahead of us. And you gave your life, your body, your blood, that now it becomes our food, our sustenance, so that as we go through suffering, you provide the energy, the strength, the power, everything we need to walk through that in your strength. And what a privilege that as we've confessed, Lord, that you forgive us. You welcome us into the Father's presence because you gave your life, Lord Jesus. Thank you for that. We give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ's body, which was given for you. First Corinthians 11 tells us that after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. We've been studying the New Covenant in 2 Corinthians. What does he mean by using that term? Well, I think he says, as often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. He wants us to remember that Jesus gave up his life for us, that we have forgiveness because of that. But also he wants us to remember that as the New Covenant says, we have his life in us as we partake of the bread 
reminds us of his body, as we drink of the cup, which reminds us of his blood poured into us, that we have his life in us. We have his strength in us. We have that treasure in these earthen vessels. And he says, never forget. That's why we take communion regularly, to know that he gave up his life for us and we have his life in us. So this is Christ's blood shed for you and for me. Well, a reminder that the ushers will be in the back taking the fellowship fund. We uh, help those who are hurting. We've had opportunity to do that. Those who are hurting financially, it's been a great blessing to many. So thank you for your generosity there. It's Thanksgiving week. I want to remind us to give thanks and celebrate his good gifts to us. And in chapter 3 of Colossians, it reminds us to live with thankful hearts. Starting in verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Three times in those few verses he says, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. So may we this week give thanks. God bless. Have a good week.